This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Hey everyone, I'm Jessica from the Leaving the Village podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Kathleen, Nate, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions they came from, please feel free to hop onto the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episode of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking on the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking on the link in the top banner. See you there. All right. Okay. Welcome to the Thereafter Podcast, a place where we explore life on the other side of faith change. We're here to break down the binaries, deconstruct the dualities, and wander through what it looks like to live in the gray. In church, we were told that life after leaving would be a bitter wasteland of unfulfilling hedonism, but we've discovered quite the opposite. There's actually a vibrant community of people on the other side of faith who are finding and co-creating space for hope and healing. Come along as we explore the all too often uncharted expanse of evangelicalism, evolving faith, and the life thereafter. Do it. Another episode uh, of the Thereafter Podcast. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Megan. How are you? I'm I'm good, you know. I I am newly re-addicted to Plants vs. Zombies, so I spent Ooh, a lot of my weekend playing that and feeding my Zen garden. I, have you ever played this no, game? No. I'm familiar that oh, it's a, that it is a phenomenon. <laughs> that it is something. Yeah. It could be addicted. So that was that was me this weekend. I tweeted about it. Nobody commented nice. as they cool, should. Yeah. Have they were too busy I, playing. <laughs> no, <laughs> too busy scrolling past because Plan, Plants vs Zombies is so like 2011. Yeah. It's not Candy Crush though. I mean, Candy Crush that was even before that, right? Wasn't that a, a big thing? Yeah, before? no. And Plants vs Zombies is like there's strategy. There mm-hmm. are zombies to take care of. You do not want them getting into your house and eating your brains. So cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna have to look yeah, it up at some me. point. I love, I love it. I love getting into things that that uh, uh, aren't cool anymore. That's <laughs> that makes you cool, right? That's, that's how I grew up thinking, at least. I just am bonding with my children. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Uh, we have an interview today. We're going to we're gonna get into it pretty quick, but we had a few things that we wanted to chat about on our intro, our still-to-be-named uh, intro segment uh, before we get into the interview. 
Uh, Megan. Yeah, we haven't gotten any suggestions I, of what to how to rename Twitbits. Yeah. So and, I guess we're and, here. And honestly, I don't know if it's like Twitter dying or the fact that I'm on social media less or what, but listeners, lis- listenership has been down and... Uh, engagement is a little less than than usual. So if you're listening to this and you want to like tell us that you're listening to it, um, tell us. It would make us feel good. <laughs> anyway, shameless <laughs> plug go. for you to tell us you're listening to the pod. Uh, w- it's not even. It's not even that. It's just that we love interacting yeah. with listeners, and we just haven't had that as much. Lately. We want to feel that connection, um, baby. Uh, yeah. What are we talking about before we get into the conversation with Brittany today? Well, I know there's a story that you've been wanting to talk about a little bit. I, uh, Mike Bickle, yeah. tell us, tell us what happened. Yeah, I want to chat about. It. I've been, I haven't been following like super, super closely. I read a little bit of the statement uh, or the story that was in the Kansas City Star. Um, if you guys aren't familiar, I've talked about IHOP before, International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Mike Bickle is the pastor, prophet, founder of that. Ministry, uh, he was part of the Kansas City Prophets thing that happened, I believe, in like the 80s, maybe it was the 90s in Kansas City, um, leading to the founding of this 24-hour prayer center. There's a podcast I've been listening to, wildly enough, called Heaven Bent. Uh, This season of Heaven Bent podcast is about IHOP, Kansas City, and it's interesting because it wrapped up like I think they had their last episode, which I just listened to was came out like the week before this Mike Bickle revelation, which was basically oh, wow. the yeah the the announcement um, was that there was allegations, formal public allegations against Mike Bickle of sexual assault um, and uh, various abuse um of sexual nature um spanning i think over years uh it i believe was was uh kind of like substantiated by leadership as credible but they've just i believe hired like some formal third party to come in and investigate and I, I, I don't want to talk about the specifics of that. Uh, Heaven Bent is doing a couple of bonus episodes, which I haven't listened to yet, um, that will probably be pretty good resources on what's going on there, um, since that is a person who's been uh, really investigating IHOP and, and has their finger more on the pulse. But I saw a post from our good friend Janice Legata, uh, and she was talking about a post that she saw from our other friend Tim at New Evangelicals, and the, I guess the, the subtext of that post was like, this is kind of surprising. People are surprised because Mike Bickle is not a Carl Lentz. He's not this like big, sexy, fancy, mega pastor guy. And he's this real down to earth, kind, in quotes, you know, nice, lives in, a townhome drives a you know 15 year old car not flashy not big sexy pastor guy right and we always think of the scandal happening around these Kenneth Copeland's these you know Carl Lentz's okay I'm we're coming back to that because finish your thing about the post but we need to come back to yeah that. so okay, so I think that there is this like um, idea that if 
somebody is this kind of like humble, down to earth, not seeking fame person, they're not abusive or they're somehow that's credibility to them being safe or not being in it for the wrong reasons. But like when I saw this post, I like everything in me was like a hundred percent. No, like this is about when this right. abuse happens, it's about power. Right. And yes, it is, that's it, exactly. it's not about that's where fame. I wanted to go with that. It's not about sure. There are cases where people, gather fame and money and all of those sorts of things. And that can go along with an abusive, you know, leader, right? But more often than not, that's not the case, right? Those are the cases we read about because those are the big popular ones that get the cover of magazines. Oftentimes in your everyday small ministries, mission organizations, YWAMs, churches, a lot of times these people are like very average and and yes. that can be used so often to hide abuse and hide it it gets hidden behind because it's like oh pastor todd is just this servant leader really nice kind guy he doesn't he's not extravagant he's in the ministry for all the right reasons his heart's in the right place etc cetera, etc cetera. but like that doesn't say anything about the power like that that person oftentimes like that type of abuser gets off on power right being yeah, able I, to yeah, go so, ahead what are your thoughts that was just what i was thinking when i saw this post originally yeah for sure well first of all you and i even not on with the with the record button on have talked a lot about ihep casey because you grew up in kansas city and you have had connection with this and also if anybody has never read the rolling stone article about what went down there what year around, around 2012 when the the murder or well suicide that uh was possibly but a murder vague yeah, then people need to go check that out because I was never familiar with it until we've talked about it. And then I read that article and was like, holy shit. And then um, and, and what was interesting about that article is that the the guy who was kind of the person that was in question of like, did he maybe murder someone went and moved to a different state and just became a teacher and his students were like, Googling him one day and found out that this had happened. And then they were like, I don't know if this is a great idea that this is our teacher, uh, which is just so on brand for what, ha like how people that have caused harm in evangelicalism just kind of get swept away into a new location. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Cortland. And that's why, like, as you're saying this, I didn't see the, the post from Tim or from Janice, but um, I absolutely think that it's a power thing and not a fame thing. And, and I don't, you don't have to look a certain way. You don't, you, you just have to hold that position and you just have to hold some authority for there to be a, a power dynamic that can be misused and abused. And, and I think too, I mean, as you were just unpacking that, I was kind of scrolling through the Rolodex in my brain of church scandals that I've known. And I, I know of at least five that have happened with churches that I either know well or have been connected to that were not big, famous, like, you know, Hillsong or um, Bethel or whatever, but just like 
local churches. I mean, the the one that I was attending before, like during the pandemic, the the lead pastor went on leave for having an affair. And so I I think it's just, and that's, I mean, that's a little bit different, of course, than what we're talking about here with Mike Bickle. But just all of that, absolutely, the power dynamic is there. And you don't have to be Carl Lentz for there to be a power dynamic that is that is available for abuse. And I, I yeah, think even, so this is just, on I rant. think even more so there is this like idea that a person who is, you know, really getting their, uh, fulfillment that kind of, there's a, there's a power hungry element to that form of abuse, that form of control. And I feel like people who, uh, end up in situations where that's where they're really feeding on that need for control and that need to manipulate people. It it happens even more so in the kind of small, no-name organizations, right? These YWAM bases yeah. that are, like, nobody knows these guys. And so, like, I just feel like oftentimes Christians – and people in ministry that I grew up in used that idea of this like humble average guy, you know, Joe Schmo leader, servant leader type of guy as a defense to not look actually at how power was being used or manipulated in that situation. So I think that it is the quality that servant leadership humility that's leveraged as as a way to abuse power because then it leads into situations where people entangled with these abusers don't question what's happening because they're thinking, well, surely someone so humble or surely, surely mm-hmm. such a celebrated leader in our community, not necessarily yeah. in the newspaper, but in our community would never cross boundaries or would never be abusive. And so then it turns into, um, this, this place where, and I think I, um, I saw, I think Brian Stoller tweet out that there are predators and abusers that actually go look for opportunities to do this in churches because there's this culture of grace and, and forgiveness and, you know, that kind of vague, boundary and so it just ends up being this place that that can be ripe for abuse yeah yeah and so and people people were just basically i don't know if i didn't see the original video from tim but like just people i'm sure a lot of people are like oh we're so surprised by this it was not surprising to me at all like when i yeah. saw this i was like this Agree. this makes sense like in fact the- i actually didn't know if it was new news or old news that was just being reported or not because i knew there was problems with ihop kc but i did not know that this was new that mike bickle had been um had been reported as an abuser yeah so anyway just just it was very, for me, very close to home, very uh, brought back a lot of stuff about uh, just how you know dangerous it is to be in these really high control organizations and how it's really, impo- it's, I don't want to say impossible, but really difficult for, any, for me to think that anyone at the top of a high control organization like that is not suspect. It's just, yeah. it's just almost impossible to be in that position and for me to, to not feel like there's probably something sketchy going on. 
Well, speaking of sketchy, did you see the news about Mike Johnson? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yes. I don't know how much we want to talk about Mike Johnson because I feel like that man is a like a well of cringe that we could <laughs> really dig into. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it just I, it was just last night, I think, is when I first saw it. I don't know when it came out, but essentially, um, essentially, he was using that Covenant Eyes software, which we all I, I feel like I first heard about that software from the whole Josh Duggar thing, because not only was Josh Duggar using that software, but he actually like built a computer program in Linux to get around it. Um, but mm, yeah. it is that software that that supposedly is like accountability software so that it see it goes through all of your devices. And um, and this is the new Speaker of the House, for those of you who don't know who we're talking. There's a lot of probably John, Mike Johnsons in the world. It's a very generic name. Feel bad for all the Mike Johnsons out there <laughs> yeah. who are living through this current moment in American history. Yeah, but like this, I mean, this was something that he heard about at a Promise Keepers event to go through your devices and have this software and then decided to share that he was, his accountability partner was a 17-year-old son and that they both used this software. And I just, I I have some questions. (laughs) Do you, do you have questions? It's, I've listened to some, some podcasts where they've talked about Covenant Eyes. I remember it was really, it was a really big thing. Uh, there's a creator who I really like, and I think it's the real, I think his screen name is like the real Sinfluencer or real Sinfluencers on TikTok. He's a former worship pastor and I wish I knew his actual name. Um, but I can't think of it right now, but he did a TikTok uh, and he referenced, there was a thing, I think triple X church. Uh, was a big sponsor of Covenant Eyes, or they had their own software very similar to that. Um, Might have been like, yeah, a, yeah like a, I think they did have so- cause I I've heard it was like an edgier version, that. right? Yes. And I think they like I remember Triple X Church did like an interview at one point with like Ron Jeremy, and they were a little more edgy. But like uh, this this TikToker, he he said that he was cu- like paired up with an elder in his church when he was on staff he had to like do this thing with an elder and he was like he would get the notifications and he was like i never said anything i was just like to this day i just pretended i didn't see them like it would be like oh, you know wow. elder tom just looked at you know gang bang whatever and he was like oh, well man. i just who's gonna say anything not me no, we're just gonna yeah. pretend that i didn't see that email and delete it <laughs> Well, and I, I mean, I think that the software alone, like I have questions about, but then also just that, like we've talked about it in our deconstruction coffee hours, that account, that forced vulnerability and that weaponized accountability where it's like, you must give someone full access to your entire life at all times, or you're not being a good Christian kind of thing. And it's like, it, it, I, I even tweeted out this week, like it, it's why I struggle to set boundaries now because <laughs> it's like um, there's this this notion that you have to hand over agency, I guess, over your life. But then also it I don't know. I just I, I can't decide where there's something about this software that I just have discomfort with. And then you, layered on there, you have the fact that he's having these conversations with his 17 year old son which just feels borderline abusive here. It, it, 
it is wild to put your child, I mean, it is this kind of advanced form of like parentification, putting your child in a situation of like being responsible for holding you accountable. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a little odd. Um, and also, I mean, I'm a big fan of talking to your kids about porn and about sex and about all those things and normalizing those conversations. Um, but like doing it in a way that perpetuates shame, obviously, yes. is you know, un unfortunate. Um, I think I have like personal stories that I could share that I'm going to wait and not share at the <laughs> at the moment <laughs> in regards to this that, topic. That's why I heard of that triple X is because somebody else shared a story about a situation they were in where. They, yeah, they, uh, I, I'm just going to say this story. I think it's okay. It's absolutely anonymous, but somebody shared a story that they were on staff at a church and there was only one computer that had internet. And so they were using this computer and saw some of the church history and then they decided they had to kind of report it or else people would think it was them, you know? And so then they installed this triple X software and they learned that, the pastor's son was sneaking over to the church at late at night, like at 11 <laughs> o'clock to, to look at porn on the one computer that had the internet. Oh, man. <laughs> what sort of, of wild, like, like things does that do to your sexual taste to be like, to have all of your formative sexual experience happen in some, like, with the scent of hymnals and, like, <laughs> pews, church pews, like, I don't know, that's, there's gotta be some weird kinks that get developed, uh. Well, from, and I think, too, again, the same thing with the Mike Bickle thing. It's like, are we surprised that there's, like, weird, strange porn stories coming out of the the stories of, you know, high-control evangelical environments? You know, I, are we surprised? No. And so I think We're not surprised. the narrative that I'm seeing on Twitter is, like, oh, the rest of the world just found out how weird evangelicals are. Just another day that ends in Y, you know? Yep. Yep. Well, I think that that is a great little cross-section of things that we have noticed <laughs> in the world. Um, I'm excited to get into this interview with uh, Brittany Britton. Um, it's going to be, it was a great conversation and it's going to be really great to share it with you all. Yeah, I love Brittany. I remember, and I don't think I said this on the interview, but I remember being in clubhouse rooms with her and just being like, you you could be a life coach. You just have, she has a natural, just she, the way that she would listen to people and, and respond with care and concern. And, and she just, it kind of exudes that care. And so I really hope our listeners appreciate this and, and just appreciate our conversation because she's an incredible woman. And I, um, I've been inspired a lot by her. So enjoy. Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Thereafter Podcast. We're here. Hi, Megan. We have a guest, too. I cannot too. say that. I know we say welcome to the podcast so many times yeah. in the opening, but <laughs> I am so excited because we have Brittany Bruton here, and if you are somebody that knew us in our old school clubhouse days, Brittany used to help Teal Short and I host a weekly Thursday night clubhouse space. Welcome, Brittany. Say hello. Hello. I'm so happy to be here with y'all. <laughs> Brittany, a part of the original origin story of Megan and I meeting uh, back in clubhouse when I was just like starved for social interaction and we couldn't go outside and 
uh, we all found each other every Thursday night for sometimes hours at a time. Yes. Yeah. It's like Those a family were- reunion. <laughs> Super good times. Yeah. I'm so happy to be hanging out. It feels like hanging out with family all over again. I love this. Well, Brittany, for our listeners, if you could just give us a little bit of context of um, your story, just kind of how you grew up and what kind of faith space you've been in and how that might have shifted along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I actually, my family's from Pennsylvania on both sides. Uh, My parents um, are both my dad's from Pittsburgh, but grew up near Philadelphia. My mom grew up near Philadelphia, and that's where they met. Um, so I was actually born there. And when um, I was about one and a half years old, we moved to middle Georgia. My mom's parents were getting older, and she wanted to come help them, look out for them, you know, that sort of thing. So I grew up in middle Georgia, and I actually grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which, if you know anything about it, it's not truly evangelical, but it is like evangelical adjacent, I would say. Um, So there are a lot of beliefs, like 28 or 29 fundamental beliefs. And I I would say like all but maybe two or three are pretty like normal or uh, pretty regular beliefs that most evangelicals would hold. Um, And one of the bigger ones that really kind of set that experience apart or kind of gave me like a really different experience is that we uh, grew up going to church on Saturday and we grew up observing the Sabbath. Um, and that meant that from Friday night to Saturday night, we only did like church activities, you know, Bible study, prayer, no work, no sports, no TV, things like that. And so that really, um, that was a very different kind of upbringing. It was almost one of those experiences where like your only real friends were at church because they were the only people who could really understand you because, you know, your school friends didn't get it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I grew up. And I was a member of the seventh day Adventist church until I would say probably until I was about 23 years old. Um, and I actually never, I've never like pulled my membership officially, but it was around that time that I stopped attending. And I really started to think about, you know, what I believed, how I wanted it to impact my future, my family, um, and that sort of thing. And so that's, that's where I grew up attending church. Um, I did go to some non-denominational churches when I was uh, about 24, 25, um, just trying to figure out where, where I was going to go. But I found it really hard to even, um, kind of create roots in those churches too, because I felt like such an odd person there. I felt kind of like an outcast or like I didn't really belong in that church because of the church I grew up in. So I've kind of been sort of like an orphan, I guess you could say, since I left that church. Um, But as of right now, I don't attend church regularly. I'm kind of just, I guess I would say, exploring my relationship with God, trying to figure out what that looks like on my own right now without um, an organized, you know, an organized church (laughs) um, setting and just taking it day by day. So yeah, that's kind of where I am. Yeah. We had somebody else on the podcast who grew up Southern Day Adventist. I forget. I was trying oh, to wow. think of. God bless. <laughs> I was trying to think <laughs> of who who the other guest was because I that's it's a tradition that I'm not super familiar with, and like I do think it's interesting how like maybe your experience as somebody who I was I grew up Southern Baptist, but then was like part of like very kind of like I don't know culturally seeker evangelical i don't know smoke and light churches (laughs) uh like i feel like it 
probably was would have been something that I would have been like, oh, I don't know anything about that. Is that you know, I don't. I grew up in a church where I was like, are Methodists really Christians? I don't know. Like, like I didn't yeah. really understand that there were other traditions outside of the really narrow evangelical experience that I had. Yeah, no, I would, I would completely agree and say that I relate to that a whole lot because not that we were taught that like people who went to church on Sunday weren't true Christians. We just didn't, that just wasn't right. Like the Sabbath was as outlined in Exodus 20, you know, this is how it's supposed to be kept today. And if you're going to church on Sunday, that's not correct. Like you're, you're choosing to not do the right thing. You know, and so that was that was not something to me that wasn't really easy to grow up with because it kind of created like the superiority complex, like we're better than those Christians. And I, nobody's going to say that out loud. Like, I mean, I have friends who are still Seventh-day Adventists, like great people, but nobody's really going to say that out loud. Like, oh, we thought we were better or we were kind of taught that we were better, but you were told that you were correct. We believe that, you know, we were taught that we were the remnant church, like we were God's true, God's true church. And so, yeah, there were definitely other churches and and groups of Christians that I grew up knowing that I was more obedient than, you know, and so that was a really, it's just a weird thing to unpack as I've gotten older. Um, You know, I've really, I feel like I've learned a lot of humility as I've grown and um, kind of as I've grown away from the church. But yeah, it was it was definitely one of those like we've got the truth and those people are missing parts, you know, that sort of thing. It's so wild to me because it's like the Bible is there's the Bible is clear people. And then there's so many denominations that have so many such a vast array of all of the different things that interpretations. Right. I'm curious. One of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on the podcast and and one of the things I wanted to talk about was your relationship with your family as you've shifted. Um, Because if I – I know when we were in Clubhouse Rooms together, your mom lives with you, right? And that's something that you grew up and, and, and had this be part of your faith tradition. And then you've kind of shifted in how you approach spirituality. And we have so many friends that can't have the same relationship with their parents that or with their family of origin. Um, some have no contact with their parents. And so I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about how your relationship with your family has evolved and just kind of what that's looked like in the midst of your kind of changing your approach to spirituality. Okay. Yeah, Megan, that's, that's a really great question. I'm actually glad you brought that up. And I will say that I have been very fortunate in how things are working out in my relationship with my mother. Um, Things were not always this good, but I think that the outcome and the reason that things are going well right now is because my mom has sort of undergone her own level of deconstruction. Um, She is not a member of that church, of the Seventh-day Adventist church anymore, but she still has a a very robust relationship with God. Um, She's still a Christian. She still reads her Bible. My mom is up at 5.30 every morning um, with a group of people that she does like Bible study and prayer with. Um, She still does, you know, all the different sacraments, all the, you know, communion and things like that. So she's still very religious and still very much a Christian. But I think that because she has uh, changed, you know, some of her beliefs, she's grown to be able to accept that some of mine have changed too. And I mean, this is a big deal because there was a time where I was afraid to tell my mom that I was listening to sermons from other churches. (laughs) Like it was, Mm. you know, I was considering at one point when I was in college, I was like, man, I feel very called to ministry. I wonder like, and there was a particular ministry in Alabama 
that I was like, man, they're so on fire for God. Like, I really want to go learn. And I just, I was like, there's no way my mom would be on board with that because they're not, they're not of our faith tradition. You know, they, they do things differently. um, And it wouldn't be, you know, considered, she wouldn't consider it to be the truth. And so, you know, it has been, there have been points that have been really painful. I mean, where even with me and my husband, my husband grew up in a different faith tradition as well. He grew up apostolic. Um, so they go to church on Sunday uh, at his church. A lot of the women wear dresses, their their dresses, you know, modest, modest dress um, and a, a few different things uh, that have been that are very different than how I grew up. So even that was sort of a point of contention when we were engaged. <laughs> you know, it was like, how are you going to, you know, be with someone who's, uh, you know, that different? I think that was something that she was very worried about. Um, so for us to be at a point where we can live in the same home, you know, she will do her Bible study and I may not open a Bible, you know, Bible study is not something I'm super comfortable with right now. Um, and you know, I've not heard anything judgmental. She really just kind of, if she has something really impactful from her message that she finds, you know, if she, that she thinks might be helpful to me, she may share it and I may say, Hey, that's great. Or, okay. You know, and then I keep going about my day, but we've gotten to a point where we can really respect that we're in different places in our relationships with faith, with God, um, even with church, you know? And so, um, yeah, I feel, I feel very fortunate and I really, I hurt for people who do not have the support of their birth family, you know, of their parents and things like that, because all of us want to be loved. You know, we all want to be unconditionally loved by our families, by our parents. And it's hard to know that, these rifts in belief and in faith can cause our parents to literally walk away and decide that they don't want to be a part of our lives anymore. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm very, very grateful. And I'm grateful to see that my mom is even becoming someone that other people, when they have, you know, rifts in their families, my mom has become someone who's built relationships with others who, you know, she's like, well, you know, come talk to me. I'll, you know, not, I'll be your mom, but, you know, I'll, I'll support you. And, you know, she encourages a lot of people. So I'm really grateful to see how she's evolved, um, and how she is, um, you know, just growing and, um, becoming more accepting, I guess would be a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's, it is, it's those experiences of, uh, going through what, for some can be really challenging for, I think for everybody is really challenging and, and for some they're able to gl- grow closer together, um, can be not only just like a helpful experience for you, but like kind of, you mentioned like your mom is able to be with other people. Like I've found that like the things that I've gone through with faith change and family, allow me to be supportive for friends in ways that I probably couldn't have been had I not gone through those experiences for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the more that we experience in life and the more that we, you know, go through ourselves, the more we can use those experiences to help other people. And I definitely think they make us more relatable um, and more empathetic to others. So, you know, I'm very grateful for that. And, you know, I think that faith is such a personal thing and I'm finally getting to experience it for myself on a personal level, like without having to stand up and say certain affirmations every week and having to sign on the dotted line that this is exactly what I believe right now and all of that. Um, and so this whole deconstruction, 
rediscovery, whatever you want to call this journey has been really, really helpful for me because I never, you know, at this point in my life, I never look at someone who's trying to figure it out and and have judgment or, you know, God has been so good. How could you question? Or, you know, I don't have any of those, like those little, um, thoughts anymore. You know, I really understand that this is a very personal journey. We all go through different things in life and, you know, life makes us all come to different outcomes, you know, uh, as far as our beliefs are concerned. So I'm grateful for all the ups and downs in my own journey with faith and how it's made me more empathetic and understanding when it comes to other people. I'm curious because when it comes to family or even just friends and relationships, I feel like when you're all in the same church environment, church body, church family or whatever it is, um, everybody kind of agrees on things. And so you end up being pretty close because you all just kind of agree on things. And I think that what disrupts that is when you start to have conversations that are like, this is like outside of that, uh, you know, the kind of shared values that we all had. And then there's kind of this opportunity to either embrace the questioning or resist that. Right. And so I think when you're in in a family setting, you have to also come up with the dynamic of like, well, also, this is an authority figure that I've had that has told me what to believe. Right. And so whether it's family or whether it's friends, do you feel like that was a gradual thing where you were you were able to find safe places to have those conversations or was it, it was it something that you found right away was it something you were looking for for a while or I mean you said you were hesitant to kind of share some of the things you were thinking about at first how did that evolve Yeah I think that's that's a great question um you know I think that I have found that there are some people in my life who I can have honest conversations with. And, you know, I can go very deep with about where I am and what I'm thinking um, in terms of faith. Uh, And, you know, there are people who may not necessarily be ready to have those conversations with me. And I fully respect that. (laughs) Like, you know, if, if you are not someone who wants to have those conversations or really even wants to know where I am with faith, I am okay with you not knowing I love you and we will have a relationship that's based on other things. (laughs) You know, I mean, I have, I have different sets of people in my life for different things. You know, even now, like I, I stay home and I homeschool my four-year-old, you know, I have friends that I just talk about homeschool raising four-year-olds, you know, with, I have friends who, you know, we talk about, um, you know, different topics online, books and things like that. You know, I have friends like y'all who we have been able to go really deep in the deconstruction and where we've been and all our crazy, you know, stories and things. So I have, you know, I've been really fortunate to find um, people online. And, you know, I'll say too, during the pandemic, I was extremely sick. Y'all remember I had all kinds of health Mm -hmm. problems. (laughs) That was part of the reason why I couldn't even do more of the, you know, activities and the talks and things because my sleep was a mess. But it afforded me the opportunity to really find friends online. And so, you know, I've I've come to terms with the fact that everybody in my real life may not be ready to have these conversations with me. And that's okay. Like, I think when I was younger, I had to have friends who we were all sort of on the same page when it came to faith. You know, we all had to be pretty much all my friends were Christians. Most of my friends were straight, you know, uh, or uh, cisgender, hetero, you know, they were all, we kind of all fit a certain profile and bubble. 
you know, but as I've gotten older, I've been able to really expand my friend groups. I mean, I've got a whole group of friends on Instagram who are just chronic illness. You know, we all have different things and we're navigating the health system together. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, just a part of this journey has been understanding that, you know, there's, there's just different people in our lives for different reasons. And, you know, I can find safe places online. I can find, you know, maybe I'll be lucky and find a group of, you know, people here that I can really uh, talk to about faith and things like that. But if I don't find that in my immediate community, I know that I can find it online or I can create, you know, a, a safe community of people. Because I mean, there's, there's billions of people, you know, everybody doesn't have to be in my immediate um, physical space. So yeah, I've just kind of, I, I don't want to say compartmentalize, but I guess that's sort of what it is. You know, we have different, different friends for different reasons and we go to different people for, for different things. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, faith being able to be one of those things is a newer concept for me at least, because like, of course, like I kind of felt that way with like some things, but faith always just had to be this, like, because we like, at least the culture I grew up in, like we faith, we faithed everything like it was like christian movies and christian tv and christian music and christian sports camp and christian it was like faith had to be this underlying part of everything it was like no sometimes you can just go like to camp and it doesn't have to be about jesus um <laughs> i i want to backtrack a little bit to where you talked about i don't know how much you're you know wanting to share on on this but the topic of chronic illness and health like that is something that's very close to me um, and a lot of people that I'm really close to. And I know uh, something that a lot of listeners have in their life and are impacted by. Would, would you mind talking a little bit more about your experience with, you know, chronic conditions and, and dealing with that health uh, journey that you've been on? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to share. Um, so I will <laughs> preface this by saying I thought I was a very healthy person. I mean, I was one of those people who went to the doctor like once a year, you know, and really tried to stay away from doctors before all of this happened. I was very, I was like crunchy, you know, they're like, they call them the crunchy mamas and stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can find a juice or a natural solution for everything. Um, I mean, I, I didn't even like taking like ibuprofen. So that's kind of where I was when all of this started. But in 2019, I had our son um, and everything went well. I was pretty sick when I had him, but um, a lot of moms have the condition that I had. I just, it was not to minimize it. It was horrible. <laughs> I vomited constantly. Um, but that really, I thought, okay, I've had the baby. Everything's fine. Um, but about a year later when he was um, turning one, I became really, really sick. Uh, and this was like July, 2020. So of course everything was shut down. And I had some doctor's visits and things um, that I should have probably paid attention to more of the lab work, but I was like, you know what? It's not COVID. I'll figure it out. You know, I'll kind of do my thing at home. But essentially I um, ended up getting a diagnosis for something called hyper eosinophilic syndrome. So I make way too many white uh, blood cells called eosinophils. And if you're not sick and you, there's nothing for them to attack, they'll start to attack your organs um, and different tissues and things. So um, that diagnosis in October, 2020 really rocked me because I was a teacher. I was doing well, like me and my husband were excited about where things were going. And then that came down and I immediately had to leave work. Um, we didn't really know what my treatment plan was going to be. 
but um, the medications and things that I was on with us trying to figure it out, it was helping me, but it was also, it made me incredibly immune, immune suppressed. So I wasn't able to go out and spend time with people, you know, COVID could have been really bad for me. Um, and so ever since October, 2020, we've been really trying to manage that. And we finally got into a pretty good place. I've had some kind of crazy health things that have happened during that time. But um, yeah, that's that's what ended up happening. And I'll say that it has been really interesting because I was also deconstructing <laughs> during this time, you know, during 2020, I think a lot of us were really um, examining our faith. And I think what, what really, um, I guess the conclusion that I came to is that I want to talk to God, um, but there's, there's just some parts of religion that I don't want any parts of anymore. The parts that stress me out and make me fearful and make me anxious. I didn't want any parts in that anymore, but I personally feel like I saw prayers answered in my own life. I remember when I was in the hospital, I was in the hospital three or four times over the past few years, and I had thousands of people praying for me and people just saying, Hey, I've reached out to this person. I've reached out. I've called these people and I've asked all these people to advocate for you and pray for you. Even people who don't pray, they were like, I'm sending positive energy and positive thoughts. And I just so appreciate that love. I think that that love is what faith is supposed to be about. It's, you know, when people are going through things and they're struggling, it's, you know, people taking the time out of their day to think about you. You know, I sent $10 for your husband to get lunch, you know, whatever it is, you know, while you're at the hospital. Um, people, I, I remember getting out of the hospital after I had um, a warning stroke in 2021 and I had friends reaching out, hey, I want to buy your family dinner. You know, we've been thinking about you. Um, and so that has been really, really impactful. I've seen people who are believers do incredible things and love on me in incredible ways. Um, so faith, or I'm sorry, prayer has been something that I've really retained during that time. I truly believe in prayer and talking to God and just advocating for people and, you know, speaking and, and asking for the things that we want to happen and the outcomes that we want. And I think that um, all of the chronic illness has really made uh, my faith stronger in that way. And, in, in, you know, the, the practice of prayer and choosing to continue to pray and advocate for people. And also just, you know, I think that by my having that experience and knowing what it did to my family, I think that it's made me even more empathetic as well. When I see other families or other people going through really difficult circumstances, I've tried to, you know, rally support for them, um, whether it be financial, whether it be prayer, you know, whatever we can. You know, if you see someone going through a really difficult time, I truly believe in trying to step up, you know, step in, step up and do what we can for them. So, yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey, I will say it's. You know, in 2020, I wasn't sure if I was going to live or die. And so there was a lot of a lot of soul searching, a lot of um, questioning. But I'm really grateful for where I am now. And I'm grateful for all of the people that I've met along the way, too. So, yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing. And I and also I love how open you've been about your journey on Instagram um, because it shocks me to hear that you're somebody that wasn't very like didn't go to the doctor a lot you know just because now you're the first person that I think of when I make my <laughs> checkups I I know I've tagged you in tweets and in, on Instagram saying like but I, I booked my mammogram and you're like great you know because you really advocate for people to go to those regular checkups and really pay attention to their own health especially 
people that are busy with kids and maybe tend to prioritize kids or their family members over their own their own health. And so I've appreciated that. And, and you know, we might have – Cortland, you might have a follow-up question about that. But I do want to talk a little bit about what you said about prayer because I'm somebody that – I wrote a whole memoir about prayer and then I deconstructed and I, I or started going through deconstruction. I probably always will be deconstructing, but I, I don't pray anymore. But yet that I think is so powerful because I do have this sense that for me, that connection of um, people being able to ask someone, someone to, to, to see them and to hear them and to say, like, I want to feel seen and heard and I want to be thought about and to say, like, I, like, and, and it is like when when you're going through that, I saw your post when you were in the hospital and it's like, what can I do? And I was probably one of those, like, I'm sending good vibes, positive energy people, because at the time I had such a complicated relationship with prayer, but I love how beautiful, how beautifully you put it. And I am just curious because you seem so expansive in the sense of, holding space for people who may not have the same relationship with prayer, but might, might ha- approach it in a different way. Is that, I mean, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say so. You know, I think that there are a lot of different ways to have good intentions. And I think that prayer is honestly just good intentions vocalized, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a way to care for people and to say, I see you. And I don't know if I can fix this, but I'm going to try, you know, and honestly, I think prayer is, I think it's complicated for a lot of us because we don't know how it's going to be answered. You know, it's like, do you hear me? Did this prayer reach you? (laughs) You know, uh, are you going to answer in a way that's going to help? My friend is dying. Are you going to do anything? And I think a lot of us have seen, you know, what it feels like prayer, what feels like prayers go unanswered. And, you know, what I've learned is I've just learned to be okay with some of them going unanswered. Like, I've learned to become okay with prayer not going the way that I want it to go, but I'm still willing to kind of take that chance. And I don't really know why, you know, I don't know why I'm still willing to do that when I know that prayers are not going to be answered the way that I want them to all the time. Um, But I am just willing to take that chance and to advocate and to ask for what I want. You know, I don't know, you know, I have I have thought about, you know, is it the universe? Is there power, you know, is the power just in our words? Is the power in faith? Is the power in God? Is the power in Jesus? Like, what is the power in, you know? And me and my mom, Fett, talks about that. But I'm like, you know what? I am just going to believe that there is power in faith. And, you know, by me saying, God, please help this family. I really want you just to be there for them. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to shift it or what's going to make it move. But I've had enough personal experiences in my life to know that I've had people pray for me and things may have worked out in a way that looked bad at first, (laughs) but eventually they have turned around and they have been okay. And and some of them, they haven't. I mean, I'm someone who's had, you know, multiple procedures in the hospital. I had a whole stroke. I mean, I don't know how I'm, I don't know how I do podcasts at this point because my brain, I swear, I, I feel like it feels like jello sometimes when I'm trying to have conversations like this, but I'm like, you know what? I'm really grateful because I feel like I'm bouncing back. You know, I feel like I still have some use of these things that I probably shouldn't be able to use. I mean, you know, so I don't know exactly why I still believe in prayer. Um, 
but I'm just going to stick with it. I mean, I feel like I don't have anything to lose right now. And, you know, I have a complicated relationship with the Bible. <laughs> that's where, that's kind of where I've been like, uh, I don't really know what to do with this right now. And I've read different books like Will Gaffney. I've listened to her talk. You know, there've been different people. Um, Candace Bimbo is one of my favorite people. She's an author and she has amazing thoughts on, on the Bible and, you know, God and faith and all these different things. And I know people who are so, I feel like they're so, um, so well thought when it comes to all of these different things they've done, they've done their own deconstruction journeys and things, and they still can read the Bible and be okay with it. And I struggle with the Bible. I don't read the Bible regularly at this point, but prayer has been one practice that I'm still able to retain. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, for now it, it works and I totally understand for people it, that it doesn't work for, you know, and I take all the good vibes. <laughs> I take good thoughts. I take all of that, like, you know, send whatever positive energy you have my way because I'll take it. So I'm not, um, you know, I'm not picky. You don't pray. That's fine. Send me whatever you have. <laughs> send me what you got. I, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that. And I think that there's something, you know, as you know, and I've talked about this on the podcast, I'm an atheist, uh, is where I find the most comfortable identity for myself. And yet I, I still really enjoy prayer, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which a lot of people are like confused by. Um, but for me, it's like practice for me. It's like, it's like an exercise. It's like, it is like, um, meditation, you know, it, it is something that I'm, that I'm in, interacting with and engaging with, not for a purpose, um, just for the practice of. And I think that there's something really, so like some of the closest people and partners that I have who experience chronic illness talk a lot about like sitting in the discomfort of like not getting better um, and how uncomfortable that is for other people who don't understand that sometimes who just want like, well, I hope you feel better or get better soon. <laughs> and it's like, no, there's no like this is just like the way that life is right now. There isn't a getting better, but that doesn't mean that, that, that this isn't like an experience worth having, that my life isn't worth living, that like my life and my experience right now isn't worth celebrating, even if it's not better, even if I'm dealing with chronic pain or illness or um, whatever that might be. And so I think that there's something really similar in the way that you describe your relationship with prayer and the way I've seen people model like living with chronic illness or living with some of these things that oftentimes people who don't have those parts of their life really don't understand. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that was one of the biggest shifts in my thoughts and, and beliefs and how I saw life um, when I was diagnosed with my illness, because, you know, my doctor was like, you're going to be on this medicine indefinitely. And that's a really hard pill to swallow as someone who was like, I don't, I don't need medicine. I can find a natural cure for that. And I mean, I'm still somewhat crunchy. I mean, I'm a plant-based eater. Like I try to exercise, you know, different things like that. I, I still love natural remedies, but I know that there's a place for, you know, a time and a place for everything. And when you have something that is going to attack your organs, you need to take what Pfizer makes, <laughs> you know, like you just got to take your medicine. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that I, through this deconstruction journey, I have learned that 
things are not always like all or nothing. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of just waiting and existing and, you know, living day to day and just trying to figure out ways to get by. And, you know, I think that um, something that I've really struggled with is the whole concept of healing. You know, the Bible, you know, we've heard all these Bible stories our whole lives about all this healing that happened. (laughs) You know, Jesus was touching people and they were perfect. Um, And I've come to terms with the fact that that may not be my experience. And, you know, if I have to manage uh, what I have and I have to manage my conditions and I do, I actually do have some pain every single day. Um, I've got to go to the doctor for that, you know, so it just, it's just a part of our experience here on earth. You know, I look at the world that we live in and nothing's really perfect. I mean, even our children can be born the day that they can be born, they can literally be sick, you know, and it happens so often. And I'm like, how in the world do you arrive and you've already got a chronic illness? You know, so I really look at my situation. I feel fortunate that I made it to 30 years old before I was diagnosed with a chronic illness because I have friends whose children are five and six years old and they've got diabetes or, you know, they've got different conditions that they're trying to manage from very, very young, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I think that healing would be amazing. Who wouldn't want to (laughs) be, who wouldn't want to not have to manage illness and take shots and see doctors and do all these tests and things. But I am learning that sometimes life is about kind of managing what you have. And I mean, I I know people who've got all sorts of illnesses, depression, you know, mental illness, all these different, you know, anxiety. I mean, I know people who literally have to day by day by day, just take it one day at a time and try to put one foot in front of the other and just try to get through that day. And so, you know, I feel like who am I to feel like I can't, you know, like I, I shouldn't have to do that too. So many people every single day have to do that. And so, yeah, I think it's been, it's been complicated trying to let go of the idea of healing. You know, I don't, I don't even necessarily pray for healing. I, I really just say, thank you. Like, thank mm. you for allowing me to be here for my son. Thank you for letting me walk him around at the park because there was a time where I was walking and my oxygen would drop, you know? So I have enough experience being on the really sick side of things to really just be grateful for what I can do each and every single day. And if there's not immediate healing and my situation doesn't change and I do have to continue to take medicine, you know, I say thank you for this medicine and thank you for my insurance covering this. Because, <laughs> you know, that's a big part of our healthcare system too, just trying to get things paid for. So yeah, just trying to take it one day at a time and and, you know, do what I can. I think that's kind of where I am with that. It's change it's changing your mind, right? Like it's like totally changing the paradigm that you're thinking about these things. And that's so like, um, analogous, like that's so like similar to like the concept of deconstruction is like, like just like sometimes the question is just the wrong question. It's like, we're, we're not looking for the right answer because we're just asking the wrong question. Um, and I've realized like so many things that I asked about, like, is this true or can I believe this? Like those questions are just like, so not the same questions anymore. And I, I've started to like, um, just say thank you or just think about things in different ways. Um, so I feel like the way that you express that is very like representative of my experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. Something that's been interesting for me is when I was growing up in church, I was so sure there was an answer for everything. There was a little Mm -hmm. Bible tract or a Bible lesson that was printed by the conference. Mm -hmm. They had all the Bible verses and all the answers in the back. You know, it was like everything was sure. We knew everything. There was no 
why do you have to question that? Because we've already got a belief on it. Go to the website and read that page. But now as I've, you know, deconstructed and really tried to just kind of understand things and kind of see things through my own eyes, um, you know, without a scripted lesson, I realize that we don't have all the answers, <laughs> you know, everybody thinks everybody's church thinks they have the answers, you know, every religion thinks they have, you know, uh, well, let me not speak for all of them, but a lot of religions believe that they have the answers about everything, you know, about life. Um, and I really appreciate, you know, even learning that there are faith traditions where people ask questions, you know, I've, I've been reading and just kind of learning more and thinking about how some people embrace the fact that they don't have answers to everything because it was stressful to me to have to have the answers all the time and have to know the answers that know the Bible verse and always have a reason for why you, you know, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> so I have really appreciated just stepping back, taking life one day at a time, looking at situations and not trying to have the perfect response or the perfect answer and all of that. And just, you know, just kind of letting life flow and learning you know, as time goes on it and asking more questions and being okay asking questions for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And, um, and I think that, that comfort with not knowing has been hard for me because I, I've people that if, if you've listened for a while, you know, I'm an Enneagram one and I like rules and they make me feel comfortable because it's like, just tell me the rule and I'll follow it. And that's great. And there aren't rules and there aren't scripts. And so that discomfort with uh, or being com comfortable with not knowing is, has um, been huge for me too. I'm curious, this kind of goes back a little bit and it, it's probably a, just a short thing, but I, or maybe not, I don't know. But when you were talking about just that journey of, hey, 2019, this happened, 2020, this happened, in the grand scheme of a lot of folks that I know that have chronic illness, it feels like you've had a relatively quick diagnosis, you know, not quick. I mean, it took like a year or maybe more, but I, I mean, I, I have a daughter with a genetic condition. It took us five years to figure out what it was. And we, I mean, we went to Wisconsin, we went to Seattle, we went to different places, but I am curious what that experience was like of going to, cause there is a whole conversation happening in, um, among disabled people that say, Hey, we go to the doctor and we're not listened to. And was that your experience or did you feel like, no, I was pretty seen and heard and that got fast tracked. Yeah, that's a great question. So yes and no, I was listened to and I was not listened to. So mm. um, I, you know, you talked about how I really try to advocate on social media for people to see their doctors and have doctors and things like that. Um, when I started to feel weird in like February 2020, I didn't have a primary care doctor. I just had my son, you know, I was like, okay, I'm just, you know, a, a nursing mom right now. Like, I don't really... I'm not sick. So it wasn't like a high priority on my list of things to do, you know, find a primary care doctor. However, once the pandemic started, it was very valuable to have a primary care doctor because trying to get care when everyone was afraid that whatever you had was COVID was not good. Um, I went to an urgent care. It may have been like July, 2020. I think it was when I started to really, really decline. Um, and I ended up having scans done and labs done. And essentially what happened was I was going probably over the course of three weeks, getting super, super sick, couldn't use the bathroom on my own, couldn't walk on my own, um, you know, couldn't be around my son because we didn't know what I had and if it was contagious and he was a baby. And the 
doctors there at that urgent care ended up missing my lab result for my white blood count. And I mean, it was astronomical. Like the range should have been like four to 10. My uh, count at that point was like 27. So that was like in the red all, you know, on a lab report, it has like red, this is high, you know, and no one was like, oh, you need to go to the ER. And I mean, over the course of weeks, you know, I'm going back and they're like, try this medicine, try this medicine. Nothing's going to fix an imbalance in my white blood cells because antibiotics aren't made for that. So, you know, in that regard, I felt like I was handled very poorly. And, you know, I know if I had a relationship with a doctor that I'd seen regularly who had, you know, labs on on file for me, they would have immediately caught that. But unfortunately, with how things were going, you know, in 2020, I'm sure a lot of people didn't receive great health care if they were going to facilities that didn't know them. But once I went to the larger health system here in Atlanta, um, I ended up going to the ER and they were like, I remember the ER doctor came in and she was like, ooh, your heart is in like, it's going to be in distress. And I've never seen white blood cell counts this high. She was like, we need to go ahead and admit you. And I, they probably took 40, 50 little vials of blood for me that first night that I was there. Um, and it was, it was really crazy. I mean, I saw so many doctors because no, I mean, they were checking all these different labs. They thought, have you traveled out the country? Did you drink water out of a lake? Or, you know, did you do all of these, you know, they were throwing all these scenarios and I'm like, no, I'm a nursing mother who's a teacher and I'm, I've been home. Like, you know, I went, I went out of town, but I mean, that was here in the States. So, um, I ended up staying there for three, four days. They ran all these tests. I mean, it was crazy. And then they said, you know what, we're going to send you to a hematology oncologist and she's going to read your uh, bone marrow biopsy and we're going to go from there. So I actually was doing uh, my lab work at the cancer center for a while, probably about a month. And once she ended up looking at that, she said, "Okay, I don't think, you know, there's no cancer here, which was amazing. I was very, very grateful to hear that, obviously. But she said, I really believe you have this condition, which is basically just hyper eosinophilic syndrome is basically just the name that they give to my condition when you have white blood cell counts that are elevated for more than six months. They can't figure out what you have. You don't have cancer. You don't have a virus. You don't have a parasite. You just have hyper eosinophilic syndrome and nobody, I mean, I'm in groups on Facebook for people who have it. I've talked to so many people. Some of us saw our numbers go crazy after we had a baby. Some people have seen their numbers go down and essentially go into like remission after they've had a baby there are men who have it. So it's not always triggered by, you know, anything related to childbirth. It's very odd. Like, you know, there's no exact um, one way to develop this illness. So that has been really challenging. I mean, I'm someone who I'm an Enneagram five, I'm an investigator. I want to know, you know, I want to know <laughs> what causes yep. and what can I do? <laughs> what can I do to help, you know, address it? And there's no one answer. And I've even had that conversation with my doctor. I was like, is it because, you know, I was around middle school kids right before the pandemic and maybe someone had something and she's like, you know, sometimes we don't really find out why things happen. Sometimes we really just have to treat them and kind of move forward. And I think that that was hard for me to hear, but it was really encouraging at the same time because I was like, you know what, that's true. I'm kind of dwelling in the past, but right now I have to look forward. And so, yeah, I mean, compared to a lot of people I know, I had a very quick diagnosis. I mean, literally started to become sick in February, went to the hospital in August. And by October, I saw my specialist and she confirmed, you know, pretty much what it was. Um, but with that being said, there's still not a whole lot that we, you know, there's still things that we don't know about why it happened. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, 
it's really just been me going to see my doctor and us talking through things. And, you know, there's this new medicine, there's a trial for this. I mean, I've been in trials, <laughs> it's in studies and things. It's been a whole, it's, it's really been kind of crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm very grateful that I had access to the healthcare system here and that there happened to be a specialist for what I have because there's not a lot of them. Um, it's a very rare illness. So yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate, but I know that, you know, I have friends who struggle every single day. I mean, I, I talk to people who are like, you know, my doctor still won't listen to me when it comes to this, or I'm not getting the treatment that I need for this thing, or they don't really believe when I'm telling them that. I know that's really frustrating. Um, so I, I do feel very grateful to have finally gotten the care that I need, but I know that for a lot of people, they're still not getting that. And that's, you know, it's not good. Yeah. That, I mean, it, it's everything that you said has been so relatable. I know it will be really relatable to our, a lot of our listeners. I just appreciate you being so open and sharing so much of your life and your experience with us today. It's, it's, we're really grateful for, for that and that, that we get to share this space with you. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to ask you a little bit about teaching because even though you're not maybe in the classroom, you you have so much on your Instagram. You have po- you have videos for Black History Month. You have taught. You you still continue to teach. It it it's evident that this is a a very big value of yours. It's it's a way that you and I connected early on because I'm a teacher too. And I'm just curious. Um, are how how does that play out? Just that that passion for teaching and education. And you mentioned your son as well. Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And that's one of those things I think I'm still figuring out, too. So, yeah, um, yeah I was actually a middle school teacher for six years and some days because I didn't teach very long that last year. But, um, yeah, I taught mostly social studies, but I did teach English for part of a year and science for part of a year, too. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've just always loved to teach. I mean, even when I was at church growing up, I when I was a high schooler, I had a group of five-year-olds that I was teaching, you know, and so I was always involved with children, big brothers, big sisters. I did that at one point, Um, tutoring at the library, you name it. I was always around kids, always helping kids with their homework, reading the kids, you name it. Um, And so, yeah, actually, when I left the classroom in 2020, that was a big, big thing for me. That was really hard because I was excited about that year. I I'd finally gotten into a school that I loved. My coworkers were amazing. I mean, we were hanging out. It was awesome. It was literally a dream, that school that I was at. But when my doctor told me, like, you cannot be around children anymore. You can't be in classrooms. We don't know how your medicines are, you know, we don't know enough. Um, that was really, really hard for me to hear. But I knew that there are other ways to educate. You know, when you're in a classroom, you may have 150 children, who hear you every day. And that's impactful. I mean, I, I have students from years ago. I literally um, went to a graduation party in May for a 12th grader that I taught six years ago. So I still commit, connect with my former students, love them. They know they can reach out to me for anything and I will do anything that I can to help them because I, I love them truly. Um, but I also realized too that social media gives you the ability to impact thousands, you know, millions of people. Um, whoever gets access to what you share. And so I have really, really enjoyed educating, you know, on social media. I really enjoyed doing the Black History 
videos. And I was so happy to just be healthy enough to do those videos this past year because I wanted to do it the year before and I just did not have the bandwidth. But yeah, I'm I'm so grateful that people have found value in what I've shared. Um, I've actually kind of set back a little bit. Uh, I took actually like a month offline um, from part of September to part of October, just to really focus on getting myself kind of, you know, focused here at home um, and trying to, you know, homeschool my son. I, he's four, um, but I've been teaching him to read. You know, we do little country studies. We have groups that we meet up with um, and things like that. So, you know, I've really been kind of focused on that, but I, I really love educating and I'm very grateful that, um, you know, I have, you know, that my health is in a place where I can even educate my own son. You know, I'm, I'm, incredibly grateful for that because I, you know, I know a lot of people have different experiences with homeschool, but when I was growing up, nobody in my community homeschooled, not even my friends at church. Like we were not, everybody I went to church with went to either church school, our church had their own academies and things, or you went to public school or you went to another private school, nobody homeschooled. So being able to just spend this time at home with my son, um, learning with him, you know, going on different little trips and things and, and teaching him has been really, really um, it's been, it's been great. It's been a dream, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been super fun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like rambling. <laughs> Do not be no, sorry. Not it's all. so good. I'm trying to pull myself together. Okay. Corlin might have a question at the end, but I just have a comment because yeah. earlier you said something about, I, I forget how you worded it, but you used the word perfect, right? Cause you were like, oh yeah, it'd be great to be perfect. And I think that that, that, vision of of what it looks like to be quote unquote healed or mm -hmm. what it looks like to be quote unquote so whole or perfect is so um I feel like I need help and I feel like as a society we need to expand our our perspective on what that is, right? Because mm -hmm. um for someone that maybe is a traditional teacher being perfect might be I'm able to get up every day and go to a classroom and teach at a school. And mm -hmm. I'm seeing like you within the scope of what, you know, your shifts that have happened in the last few years, you're able to have this really expansive conversation on social media and and work with your son in a, in a unique way. And, and to me, I feel like that helps me reimagine what, what it looks like to be whole. Right. And so I, I and and to me, that's not imperfection. Right. It's it's beautiful. And so I, I love seeing the way that you've been able to just kind of go forward each day in an, in a new reimagined way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's really something that I'm trying to do. Like that really is a goal of mine is just giving myself space to like make changes, make shifts like, you know, kind of follow the seasons of our life and things, but like do things that feel good and, and feel, um, natural and that sort of thing for like where we are. Um, so even like these past couple of years, you know, even our family schedule has been different. My husband's been in grad school, you know, where he's had different, uh, work obligations and things like that. But I've really tried to, you know, do what I can here, you know, as far as educating my son, really, um, spending time with him, you know, just giving him what I have, because the reality is when you are chronically ill, it's like you really never know when things could go downhill again. And I've been at the downhill point and I was not able to do the things that I really wanted to do for him. And so now that I am at a better point, you know, for however long this lasts, 
I really try to like pour into him, pour into others, you know, share uh, great content, you know, just share things that will make a difference in people's lives. Um, and so, yeah, that's just, I guess that's kind of where I am with that. Just trying to make an impact while I can, you know, because again, we just, we just never know. So, yeah. 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 And, and, and I'll say again, I'm just grateful that we get to be a part of that. Um, and part of you, you spending your time and, and, you know, pouring into us and sharing with us your experience and your insight. And it's been, yeah, it's been really good. I'm grateful for the time and, and, and I don't take it for granted that, uh, you have spent this time with us. Well, thank you. That really means a lot. And y'all know, I mean, I will say that when we were on clubhouse (laughs) in the middle of that pandemic and I'm just, I'm very grateful. I feel like I heard so many stories and connected with people. I had so many conversations, even like, you know, via DM after the room and that sort of thing. It was so, so helpful for where I was during that time, because I think so many things were falling apart at the same time for me and trying to figure out, you know, how to be a mom and how to handle this medicine change or how to handle this health change and all of that. But just knowing that there were a group of people who were really, you know, supportive and excited to connect and share, you know, honestly and authentically about our experiences and really support each other in those transitions that we were having was so, so good for me. And so I'm really grateful to have been a part of that. And I'm so glad I got to talk with y'all tonight. And I may not be around as much, but y'all know I'm always here. If you ever need anything or if y'all ever want to talk, I'm always available. You know, I'll make time for y'all. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I feel like that clubhouse space was like our deconstruction small group. (laughs) (laughs) Every Thursday night, 8 p.m. It was. Yes. So many beautiful relationships born out of that. Yeah. (laughs) Where can people find you on social media? Yeah. So really, I'm just on Instagram right now. I wish I could say that I'm like more reliable on other platforms, but really that's where I show up every day. Um, At this point, I have taken breaks, but I'm back for now. Um, And yeah, I'm really just sharing kind of like what we're eating. And, you know, if we go out on a trip today, I posted my son, actually, my the first Halloween costume I've ever purchased in my life, or like me and my husband didn't grow up celebrating Halloween. So my son, has a costume this year. I posted a little picture of him at the park nice. in his in his firefighter costume. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, just my little life happenings. I'm trying to get inspired to share other things. But, you know, Black History Month, I usually pull out all the stops. So I definitely, um, definitely be gearing up to share then too. And what is your handle there? Yeah, it's Brit in Bloom, B-R-I-T-T-N-B-L-O-O-M. Okay, cool. And we'll put it yeah. we'll put it in the show notes. And uh, yeah, Instagram is that's where I'm most active these days. You know, yeah. Megan and I used to be Twitter people, but you know, anymore Twitter <laughs> is falling apart. It's falling know. apart. It's a big old it's a dumpster and fire you know, over there. I met my I met my husband on Twitter. So to see the demise of oh, Twitter has been oh, Yeah. Man. I know. It's been now like, we need to do another episode. <laughs> That's gotta hurt. That's gotta hurt. It's, yeah, it's sad. I'm like, let me save the Twitter logo before you know. <laughs> let me do what I can to save this history for my son, so we can explain it to him later. <laughs> yeah, what it once was. Yeah. Well, yep. thank you so much, Megan. Do you have anything else before we close out? Yeah. No, we appreciate your time, and it was it was really great to reconnect because it's been too long. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me. Until next time. All right. That was great. Hell yeah. Nice Another episode. 
So glad to have her on the pod, and thanks for listening through to this point. Uh, we're going to keep our, our wrap-up short here. Uh, Megan, where can people find and follow you around the web um, that haven't done so thus far? Where are you at in, in, in the internet these days? I'm at The Pursuing Life on Twitter and threads and Instagram. And the podcast is at on Instagram at Thereafter Podcasts and on Twitter at Thereafter Pod. What about you, Cortland? I'm at Cortland Coffee all over the web, primarily on Instagram and threads these days. Uh, I go over to Blue Sky every now and again to tell jokes and be kind of slutty. That's kind of what I use that platform for. <laughs> Can I give and a I don't sneak use Twitter peek? very often. Yeah, you s- give a sneak peek. So for our listeners that are here, um, this is a little secret that I'm not tweeting out for another week or so. But um, we're starting to pull together the final details of our event that's coming in February. We do have a live website site. The links to register are not live yet, but we have a live website. Can I say it? What do you think? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if you, you go to content, it. if you go to contentwarningevent.com, contentwarningevent.com, which is funny because I was so excited. I was texting friends about it over the weekend, and they were. I got a DM from someone that said, "Hey, did you text me a link? Because I, I think it was maybe a phishing scam, scam, spam kind of thing." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, it probably does seem like that." Contentwarningevent.com. But if you go there, um, and probably you'll, you'll even get through if you have covenant eyes on your computer. Um, but maybe not, though, actually. Who knows how it's classified? You can uh, just kind of check out the, the basics, um, and I'll be tweeting it out as soon as those registration links are live. But um, for now, you can just kind of give, get a little sneak peek because you're a listener, and we, we love you. So Early access. Sneak peek. And you can... Uh, you know, mark it on your calendar and reserve the time. Pencil it in um, to for be sure. with us in, in, in February for that event. Um, until next time, I guess. Until next time. <laughs>